0: In the Paracast, the gold
1: standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. So, our good friend Chris O'Brien is in New York getting things set up. But this is something I wanted to mention before we go on, because Chris has talked about the San Luis Valley Camera Project for so long that he's finally started a fundraising program. And there's a thread on it in the paragraphs forum called You Can Help Make the San Luis Valley Camera Project Become a Reality. And it has something called, what's it called, Patreon, Gogs? Yeah,
2: Patreon, uh, sound, it's, it's like you can be uh, like a subscriber financially to somebody you follow on YouTube or whatever. And Patreon's just like a donation um, system because you know you know youtube youtube had that huge thing where they started demonetizing videos so they wouldn't run ads on certain videos with certain content however they use algorithms mostly to do this and there are so many uh, mistakes that this algorithm makes like you know it'll demonetize one video because of something that's silly uh, saying, oh, it's not family friendly. It's this and that. When it's not actually that, and um, you know, you can complain to YouTube and get a human to look at it, but they've got so many accounts that it's you know, it's very difficult. And some of the popular people on YouTube are making decent living from their advertising. And then there was just this huge crackdown, wrong in my opinion. So that that's what's happened. But people people are getting money instead from things like Patreon.
1: Well, we have an official Powercast YouTube channel. But it took us a while just to be approved for monetization. And even then, we're really at the low ebb. It's going to take quite a while before we see much money from it. And of course, you see on YouTube, we have people who say, "Why do you have commercials?" And I say, "Because we're a commercial radio show, and just like 82 other shows on the GCN network, there are commercials. If you don't want the commercials, join Powercast Plus." I guarantee you, none of them has done that, and yeah, there's not or, enough YouTube traffic to replace that. Even if we had permission from the network to post ad free, first of I'd all, we'd down. lose Paracast Plus income, and we couldn't replace it because there's not enough income from YouTube because of all the crackdowns.
2: When I'm listening to the show, and you know, listening to it on a, just a normal podcast, you know, seven presses of skip forward, and then that's you pass the adverts. It's no big deal, really.
1: And we look at it this way. If you really don't want those ads, for $1.49 a week, you subscribe to PowerCast Plus, all the network ads are gone. Every one of those network ads. The only thing you hear close to an ad is when, say, a guest will promote their book or will mention PowerCast Plus a couple of times. That's about it. The rest, it's ad-free. And we know it's that way. And then we give you a little bit better bit rate so the audio quality is better. We offer the After the Paracast podcast, say that five times, Gogs, in succession, After the Paracast podcast, which has extra stuff. And last week, don't know if you listened to it, Gogs, but last week we had Tim Beckley and Don Ecker. And Don Ecker is everybody's favorite curmudgeon. I like him. He's a great guy. But he'll get mad. And he was screaming at Tim, and Tim was screaming at him for a section in the middle of the show. And then a minute or two later, after the dust-up was over, they were like old friends again. Go figure.
2: That, that's what curmudgeons are like.
1: <laughs> I mean, I like them both. These are people I know very well. Tim, I used to work for many years, a door or two down from Tim's apartment. So I'd frequently drop in and say hello. So, you know, I, like I said, Tim and I had dust-ups when we were teenagers. But, you know, he's somebody I really like. And he's a wacky, eccentric guy. And I think we lose a lot when he's gone. He's not in the best of health these days when he's gone. Speaking of which, it's been months since we've had you on the Paracast or seen you in the forums. What's going on, Gogs?
2: Yeah, I had uh, I had some, I won't go into it fully, but I had some medical treatment, a form of chemotherapy, and which is over, and it did what it was supposed to do. Uh, there was an unexpected uh, side effect, those of, Seem to have suffered some permanent damage to my bone marrow and that's where you make red blood cells and that's gone a bit to pot so I'm very low on red blood cells and I'd had shots of this stuff that the um like for instance Lance Armstrong a lot of these uh, cyclists they would inject this stuff called EPO I can't remember the full name but basically it it tells your body to make blood cells and that obviously is very useful in sport if you can increase your red blood cells and your oxygen carrying capability and it's a natural chemical as well so initially you couldn't test for it because you expect to find it in a test anyway but and that worked and stuff, but it, it's got bad side effects to do, you know, regularly stuff. So anyway, this is, as I said, the, the, the doctors were not expecting this and it seems to be a permanent thing. But anyway, I'm I'm feeling fine, you know, I'm working and stuff and yeah, I'm back here kind of thing. So I, I was
1: pretty down for a while, but hey, I'm back. Well, we're glad of that. Have you been following the wackiness in the I, UFO field? I, I,
2: well, yeah, and I'm, in terms of the podcast, I'm probably, I'll tell you, I'm a bit behind, and I've got up to um, the interview with, what do you to call it, uh, Chariot of the Gods, but his name's escaped me, Von Daniken. That's,
1: Eric Von Daniken, yes. That's yeah, the one so we had that, with but, my good friend yeah. David Halperin. And yeah. David is such a gentle guy, an easygoing gentle guy, and he's somebody I've known for 10,000 years. You know, I'm just joking. But he disassembled von Daniken. Something fierce.
2: Yeah, I, I, I mean, I agree agreed with both of them to a point. But I am, um, I, I. He was, he was very polite and kind to to Eric von Daniken. But I didn't agree with everything that David said in terms of, you know, all this stuff about Enoch and, uh, you know, which, which stuff is written in the first person and which stuff is fantasy and what's... I mean, I don't know how we say any of the books, the Bible. How uh, If any of this is supposed to come from God, you know, what was it dictated to the people who wrote it? I, I just don't get this whole thing and to to kind of sort of assume that, well, no, the writers were just always or half the time um, kind of doing things from a fantasy point of view or doing it after the fact and I, I, I actually half-side with von Daniken with some stuff in that you you just have similar themes amongst many religious texts around the world that as far as we know were these people writing, them were not in communication and you know, maybe not all the stuff that he writes in Tariq's the Gods or whatever is correct, and I know, well I know I I, I disagree with a lot of it, but but there is a core stuff there that is weird, and whatever way you look at it, there are definitely fantastical, paranormal happenings in the Bible, in many of the uh, books, and I can't claim to have read the Torah fully, I've read some, or you know, the the Quran, but uh, most holy books do seem to have some pretty strange stuff going on and, and um so I, I think I think David was a little bit hard on von Daniken although you know I've, I've heard many interviews with von Daniken, and he, he does accept that you know you know he used to write stuff like uh, landing strips at, at uh, um you know in Peru for all, all the lines that are in um the nazca lines and stuff like that and he knew it, he accepts now he said no i'm just making ideas to make people think and stuff i don't think he actually thinks that's what they were but there are, there are stuff that he highlights and uh, that around the world i think charrits the gods for a lot of people it was it just gave an entry into a whole world of stuff they maybe didn't know about you know the kind of hidden hidden archaeological history and the weird things, the weird kind of uh, historical mysteries that exist around the world that are pretty unexplainable and um, so yeah, I, I think I think Eric does have something to say um, but you know a lot of it is a
1: bit extreme Well he likes to think he was the first guy to do it Hey, we've got Brent Rains joining us this week so we'll continue our guest co-host Gogs Mackay You're in the Paracast. We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive Paracast things that you can buy.
3: If so, did you know you could be collecting between $575 and $2,200 in tax-free income right now? All thanks to the FHA. Or what about this? Did you know 54 U.S. congressmen have used a special tax-free account to earn up to 35 times more on their money? It's true, and you can do it too. These are just two of the secrets revealed inside a stunning new book from the Palm Beach Research Group and Ted Benna, the man behind the 401k. You'll discover the 18 best cash cows that can help you earn up to an extra $6,800 a month. Just go to 501kbook.com right now. If you're at or near retirement, this book is a must read. You can get your own free copy. Shipping and handling charges apply. Just go to 501kbook.com right now while there are still copies left. That's 501 kbook.com 501kbook.com just go to 501kbook.com right now
4: you have been lied to generation after generation time after time after time if you follow the money then you understand why america's in the condition it's in. now
5: you created the star reserve in 1913 through lies You create 9-11, through 9-11, then you're fighting a war on terror, and now all of a sudden you go into Iraq, which was another
4: lie. This book will open people's eyes. Pre-order now at KillingUncleSamBook.com. KillingUncleSamBook.com.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
1: Gogs Mackay rejoining the Paracast as our guest co-host and we're having a pleasant conversation with him. Our guest this week, booked on short notice, real short, is Brent Rains. We were going to have another guest, but he had a family emergency, so he'll be here in a few weeks. Brent, you and I, I guess, have traveled similar roads, but we've never been in touch with each other. How did you get involved in paranormal investigations and such?
11: Well, it started uh, back in 1966 during the March wave, and I'd always been interested in the idea of could there be life in outer space, you know? And uh, then I read uh, Frank Edwards, Flying Saucers, Serious Business, probably in December 1966. I had seen him on, uh, I think, Merv Griffin is a guest one time. And, and I remember him uh, talking about a landing of a craft or something. I thought, that's really interesting. And, you know, we'd had some sightings up in Maine where I'm originally from. And it just interested me that to read the book by, by Edwards of, of police officers and pilots, you know, people in responsible positions describing these apparent craft. And so I thought, well, it's, you know, I started corresponding with people in early 1967 and collecting everything I could get my hands on. And, uh, I was all of 14 years old at the time. so. Uh, I started a little mimeograph newsletter called Sauceritis. I had such luminaries on my my, uh, subscribers list or exchange list as Lucius Farish and uh, Gray Barker. Those names may ring a bell.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, Gray Barker. I remember (laughs) spending a few days in West Virginia, and I drove over to his place, and he was playing with this photo offset machine. Of course, you see, that was a step up from Mimeograph. I had a Mimeograph machine at home. And we struggled to get this thing to print consistently. And I have to say, I don't think he ever got it to work
11: properly. But he
1: spent an arm and a leg for it.
11: Oh, me. (laughs) Yeah, those were the days. And I I miss your uh, caveat emptor that you used to publish. Uh, That was a great publication. I wish that it was still still available. You had a lot of great articles. Um,
2: was some of that not
11: digitized and put online,
2: Gene? Caveat mTOR issue. Remember, a couple of years ago.
1: Yeah, well, the entire library of Caveat mTOR, I don't have a direct URL for it right now, but I've seen the copy, was digitized with the help of Isaac Coy, who was a British-based UFO researcher. And the entire library, which is, about 25 issues, was very well digitized and put online. Now, at one point I thought, you know, maybe I should just take some of these articles like the exclusive interviews with Ray Palmer and Richard Shaver and lots of other people, take that and put them into a book. But number one is, I don't think anyone would care. I don't think there would be a real market for it. And it wasn't worth the effort. I thought, well, okay, let's just put the stuff online. And if there is a demand for anything, we can maybe do further research in it but shows where my head was at in the late 60s through the late 1980s. In each case, we kind of ran out of money to keep the thing going. I would have liked to, but we had a lot of fun with it. We met some really, really great people, some of whom became permanent friends, others who became regular writers. Like, for example, Jim Mosley wrote occasional pieces for us. Richard Shaver wrote for us. John Keel wrote for us, speaking of John Keel. So we had a lot of fun. Do you have the copies anymore where you are?
11: I have copies. And also one of your contributors was a Floyd Murray from Pennsylvania that I met back in 72. I've lost contact. I would love to be back in touch with him.
1: Unfortunately, Floyd is no longer with us. Sad to say.
2: What was his deal? What was Floyd's deal? Was he a writer, a witness, or what, what was
1: he? He was a writer. And he also wrote interesting satire for Kafka MTOR. But he personally was looking into this guy named Fred Lee Chrisman. Oh, yeah. A very, very unusual character. And Fred had originally written stuff, letters to Ray Palmer at Amazing Stories magazine, the sci-fi magazine. Later, he was involved in the Maury Island UFO case. That's where Kenneth Arnold actually went to investigate it. In the Seattle-Tacoma area of state of Washington, of course, that Kenneth Arnold, the one who had the sighting on June 24th, 1947, he went there. He was hired by Ray Palmer, who was working for Fate magazine at the time. And he called himself Robert N. Webster Palmer because he was still working for Amazing Stories and didn't want them to know what he was doing until finally he left. In any case... What happened there is that Arnold went through this whole scenario of spy story, James Bond things, where people were tapping his hotel room, where he couldn't find a hotel in Tacoma, but one was reserved in his name. He never booked that hotel. Really weird stuff, Maury Island. And Fred Crispin was one of the two harbor patrolmen who was allegedly a witness. Later on, he became, I think, a right-wing talk show host. Some people say he may have been in Dallas, Texas during the time of the Kennedy assassination. Talk about weirdness. Well, Floyd spent a lot of time writing about him. That's what I do remember. We never really ran his research. And by the time I wanted to get back in touch with him, he wasn't here. That's the story of Floyd Murray. I think
11: I'm being interviewed, Brent. (laughs) Why not? (laughs) So how long ago did Floyd pass? Um, I
1: don't know. 10, 20 years ago. It was a while. It was a while. One other person who I was very close with at the time is, I think, still around. That was Kurt Southerly. And we had Kurt on the PowerCast a few times. And he did something about Kenneth Arnold that we ran on the show. And we had a lot of fun with him. He wrote a UFO-oriented book in the early 2000s and then was a public information officer for one of the military services. So originally, before he left the military, he was a sergeant in the Air Force. But we trusted him because he was a good guy. So that's how that why,
11: <laughs> kind of worked out. Why not? <laughs> why not? <laughs> At least somebody well, who has the expertise. Yeah. Yeah, Kevin, Kevin Randall has quite a background with the Air Force, and uh, he seems to write very logically about a lot of things. So why not? If, if they are disinformation people, as long as they're on our side,
1: okay. So you got involved as a teenager, as many of us did, like Alan Greenfield and others, and Jerome Clark, as a matter of fact, who was on last week's show. So that's how you started. Now I assume you had a real life beyond UFOs, right?
11: Oh yes, uh, I uh, I'm retired now, but I I worked in corrections down here in Tennessee uh, for nearly 30 years. And I've you know retired from that. I worked in warehouse and commissary, fun, fun, fun. And, uh, so that was my, that was my day job and how I kept a roof over my, over my family's head and food on the table. Uh, but you know, I've always had a, a, a deep interest an obsession really, uh, was to aggravate my wife, Joan, when we'd go on a trip somewhere and, uh, we'd be passing through a town and I would, instead of admiring the statues or you know historic sites that most people would i would say this is where back in 1949 this incident happened <laughs> and, my uh,
1: wife doesn't let me talk about that we got more to come we've got brent Rains, our guest co-host is gogs mckay you're in the podcast <laughs>
12: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today.
13: Are you living your passion? Are you pumped to go to work because you get to talk about or work with or do the things that interest you the most? Is working, playing, and relaxing one and the same? As long as you're working for someone else, you'll never be living entirely true to yourself and your passion. I'm Pharmacist Keith. Let me show you how you can work around your current schedule, create the extra income, so you can live your passion. Visit radio.recordedvideo.com. That's radio.recordedvideo.com radio.recordedvideo.com
15: That's why you need your own plan for self-reliance. That's where My Patriot Supply comes in.
5: This is a warning to all household pests, to all cockroaches, spiders, ants, mice, and rats. If you've made yourself at home in someone else's home, you'd better hope the owners never hear about Terminex, because Terminix has the know-how and the means to do whatever it takes to remove you from that home. Terminex has 90 years of experience eliminating home invaders, and they make it easy for homeowners to be protected by offering a free pest estimate by calling 1-800-676-9879. Cockroaches, spiders, ants, mice, rats, and other pests, this is your last chance with one call terminex will remove you from the home you've invaded if you think you can simply come back later think again terminex will never stop working to keep you out with a 100 satisfaction guarantee pests wherever you are i will find you Pests, you've been warned homeowners are calling terminex right now for a free pest estimate 1-800-676-9879 1-800-676-9879 30-day money back guarantee at participating locations limitations apply see plan for details
7: This is Robert Hastings,
14: author of UFOs and Nukes, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of
17: paranormal radio.
1: So pleased to hear that. From Gogs Mackay, our guest co-host, Brent Raines joins us. Now, right now you're working with this magazine, Alternate Perceptions. Is that a print magazine or strictly online?
11: It's online since about, 2000. We were a print back in 1985. Uh, started as Pari-Ufology Forum and, and at that time, in, in the beginning, it was about four pages to start with. It was offset. And then uh, after a few years, uh, Dr. Greg Little, who had been helping me with a lot of material, he's a psychologist over in Memphis, Tennessee, he uh, decided to come on board as a co-editor and help me publish it. And we you know, went from this where I just used a typewriter and typed it out and, and uh, photo offset and then mailed it the old snail mail way. Uh, we had a more professional bulletin type, about 12 pages, that eventually evolved into uh, about 56 pages with a print cover, uh, a regular magazine, and we had distributors across the U.S. and then up into Canada. But as you know, things changed a few years later, and, and the Internet came along and uh, people weren't so interested in subscribing to magazines uh, they could go online and get their information so that's where we we went <laughs> it was online so now alternate perceptions is a digital electronic magazine
2: I understand that the the newspapers and magazines that the whole industry has you know really been hit terribly uh, in terms of print because you know the 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 sales and uh, we're falling so much the numbers Um, but I must say that you know information and stories if it's the same article it's the same information but I, I still hanker after actually holding a magazine in my hands you know something you can take on a train or on a bus or you know sit down and read there's I know, I know we've got iPads and tablets and things like that, and you can sit down with that, but it's just not the same. Like myself and Jean before the recording, we're just talking about books and I don't read many books these days because there's so much information online. But I must say that I find the, the pleasure of, you know, reading an article in the in the magazine. I still prefer that to reading the similar uh, same article online. What, what about you guys, the, the physical object?
1: You know, I think of the scene in Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan, where Dr. McCoy hands Captain Kirk a book. Also reading glasses because he can't use the solution to clear up his eyes. And I think there's nothing like reading a physical book. And I wrote a lot of physical books, although I don't read many of them anymore. They were just technology books with a short shelf life, although I have the Science 5 books. I enjoy reading a real book. I understand, though, the cost of making books isn't cheap. But what happens now, and I know Tim Beckley takes advantage of this, is that you have print-on-demand, which is almost like a sophisticated copying machine that makes a book. And you can also do it with these high-resolution laser printers. I have a laser printer here from Brother. You can buy it for hardly more than $100. If you use recycled toner, you pay a fraction of a cent per page. And if you get like a large one 1117 laser printer, you could go to a place or buy a machine to saddle stitch it and print your own books for less than offset printing. So you can do that now. That's another way of of doing it. But I agree, digital has taken over. And the problem with that is it's easy to get stuff online. It's easy to get the corrections up if you make a mistake. But monetizing is just awful. It's really hard.
11: Yeah, I uh, I agree, and I like the uh, like Mr. McKay just said. I I, I enjoy having a magazine or a book in hand, kind of kicking back in a recliner or in bed before I go to sleep, and and having myself a read. You know, and it's nothing like having the book that you say you're reading, and and when you find something interesting, you make a notation in the back of the book and go back to it later, and uh, it's really nice. <laughs> but I'm old. But he- school.
2: You know what's what's interesting is though maybe 15 years ago, 20 years ago, uh, as you know, records vinyl was going out and you couldn't buy it in the shops anymore, and the, you know the, the Billboard Top 40, it just wasn't being made in vinyl anymore, and people just thought you know it was going to go the way of the dinosaurs, and people would c- collect old vinyl records and stuff, but hey, you know, it's 2018 and vinyl, certainly in the UK, has come back with a vengeance. Uh, things are being printed, new music albums are being uh, made on vinyl now. And it, it's coming back into the music shops. And we never know, you know, there may, there may just be a, a demand or for some reason a cultural change where people think, no, I, I do want to read a magazine now. So it may
1: happen, things, things do bounce back. The problem with vinyl recordings is the finite life. You start playing it five or 10 times and it deteriorates. So, of course, what do people do? The best thing that you do, a lot of people do, is they digitize the vinyl recording by playing the record and recording it on your computer. This way, the pristine quality of the original before it's scratched up is preserved. Otherwise, you have to spend really large amounts of money for the turntable. That will take care of it. So that is the issue. Also, vinyl has that sound, which is equalized. That sounds so pleasant. It's even used as a plot device in some TV shows. I see shows where somebody has an old-fashioned turntable, and they put the needle on the beginning of the record, and they play it. And this is something where I guess they're trying to show culture or something like that. Let's get back to the UFO thing, though. Like a lot of us, Brent, you started out believing, as the late Frank Strangers did, in the ET explanation. But things began to, shall we say, modify themselves as you continued.
11: Yeah, within a, a short time, I was also uh, reading, because I, I you know, I was reading all I could get my hands on, and uh, John Keel. Jacques Vallée and Brad Steiger, uh, their writings really caught my attention. I've called them the three amigos, and uh, you know, I, I started corresponding with with John Keel back in October 1969, before his uh, Operation Trojan Horse came out, and of course Jacques Vallée, his um, mess, you know his his um, passport to Magonia. Uh, certainly was an alternative, uh, approach that st- startled, shocked, uh, infuriated a lot of people in the mainstream field of ufology. And, and I thought, well, you know, we, we really do have to listen to these people. I mean, ch- check out what they're, they're writing and saying, uh, they're, they've been, you know, pioneers in this field and they're out in the field investigating and doing a lot of research. So why not listen to, uh, their alternative theories and so on and and uh so i did and and uh the more i i studied it the more i thought well you know this this is interesting uh keel brought out the the psychic paranormal element that a lot of people seeing Mothman, you know from west virginia or are having experiences with with ufos close encounters contact um there were a lot of paranormal elements emerging from those cases and he wrote about it in his his articles and England's flying saucer review and, and people in other countries, you know, were checking it out in the field and, and reporting that they were finding similar patterns as well. So I, I think that, uh, you know, Keel got off to a rough start because he, he was so blunt and brought these, you know, brought all these, these controversial things to the forefront. But, uh, I think that he was, um, was trying to really do a, a uh, service to the field and, and present things, uh, where people in the ufology would actually try to get on board and, and, uh, study the big picture as opposed to just a selective view of things.
1: We got much more to come. Brent Rains talking about how he began to look at John Keel, his works, his books, and his point of view and his research. Gogs McKay is the guest co-host you're in the
2: podcast.
12: Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
1: Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Cheaps
18: Ted Anderson telling you about Jordan Rubin's Beyond Organic Green-Fed Raw Cheddar Artesian Cheese featuring whole milk created through ancient dairy breeding, unpasteurized, untreated whole milk on the same farm the cows graze, containing natural sources of omega-3s, CLA protein, calcium, probiotics, and enzymes. I have never tasted cheese this good, and you need to try it. Contact your Longevity distributor or call 877-878-4203 or go to GCNteam.com.
3: This is Micah Hanks of the Grayling Report, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. We
1: have Gogs McKay as guest co-host. We have Brent Rains joining us. He is the publisher of Alternate Perceptions Magazine, which is an online publication that you can Google, and we'll give you the address and everything later on. So everybody can see that publication, and he's telling us how his viewpoints began to look into a more all-encompassing view of the UFO enigma. So, still, most people think ETH, extraterrestrial hypothesis. Do you think any of that is involved at all, or what?
11: Okay, Gene, you can't really uh, dismiss the ETI. It's just that there's pursuing it in a, in a broader sense uh, than, than what a lot of lot of ufology had had pursued in the past that uh didn't take into consideration perhaps you know the quantum physics aspects the parapsychological elements and uh whatever the origin whether it's a parallel world as keel you know theorized or it could be extraterrestrial some advanced intelligence that's beyond our uh present uh comprehension doing things that that uh Clearly mystify us, perplex us, and um, and instead of looking at the big picture,
2: Brent, you know what I find is interesting is that them um, uh, like yourself, I-, I had this classic progression of with UFOs thinking the ETH must be it, and then being exposed to um, other ideas where it's it's a bit more high strange. And we cannot ignore the high, strange aspects of many cases. And we know there are many researchers in certain paranormal fields, like in Bigfoot researchers or UFO researchers or ghost researchers. And, you know, to them, it's just that there is no crossover between these fields and stuff. And I think it's all connected. And what it, you know, it's weird. It seems that half of the field of ufology uh, in terms of sightings and stuff, it's almost as if the sightings are trying their damn best to appear like they're aliens from another planet, whether they are or not. But it is absolutely an effort to try and look like that. Um, there's no way of knowing um, where, where they're coming from. But without a doubt, I... I Oh, it's it's so hard to think that uh, just uh, I've said this so many times on the show before, the the variety of modes of transport, of how they move, in what they move, uh, how they arrive, how they go away what form they appear physically, um, who they interact with, what are they doing when they interact, the, the numbers of sightings, flaps, everything. Uh, there's There are so many strange aspects to this that uh, I can't remember who said it, but maybe I think uh, Nick Redfern says that, you know, if it turns out that these are just aliens coming from another planet, he'd be disappointed because he thinks it's far stranger than that. Uh, I don't think it was Nick that first kind of said that, but um, he, he certainly reiterates it now. Um, right, it, but, it was Valley. <laughs> that's right, yeah, it was Jacques Valley, exactly. And um, who's still on the go, of course. Um, and I I read Passport to Magonia, and I read uh, Operation Trojan Horse. I haven't read Mothman Prophecies yet, um, but I, I am fascinated by the high, strange aspects and uh, I read Nick Redfern's Mysterious Universe posts avidly, where he's he's done so many on uh, women in black, men in black, you know, black-eyed kids, and there's just the same themes running through it. And it, to me, it, there there has to be one. It's almost like there's a there's a paranormal force, and it's at the cause of all these things, and it chooses to manifest in different ways maybe as a response to what's in our brains or whatever and that's the reason people have different experiences or whatever but i think it's the same thing that bigfoot comes from that ghosts come from that whatever i think it all comes from the same force and whatever reason this force has a bit like the force in star wars or you know uh, religious good and evil there seems to be a dark side and a light side to it and it manifests in dark ways and it manifests Yes, and light ways, but I think it's all from the same source. What do what do you think about that, Brent? Kind of thing.
11: Well, that's uh, a lot of that's very Keelian. I mean, John Keel thought there was a reflective factor that a lot of times it took on an appearance that would be most acceptable to our particular belief systems. Um, and you know, more and more Valley was was moving in that direction. Like with Passport to Magonier, he was looking at the little people. Mythology, as we call it or, or belief systems that that arose from those encounters centuries ago and Theories, uh, yeah and 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 the similarities fairies leprechauns uh gnomes uh the elementals and and uh, these beings do a lot of the same things that the beings in the modern ufo contact encounters uh reported doing going through walls in a ghost-like manner um Appearing, disappearing, uh, they often communicate telepathically, mind to mind. Uh, and you know, there was all these belief systems about this—this this, uh, how they lived underground, and you could go to a, a ring of uh, a fairy ring, uh, mushrooms, and and you know, the fairies might appear there, and they might sing and dance around. And and uh, you had to be careful; you might end up with some missing time if you encountered them, and uh, you might don't show up. Don't eat anything. <laughs> you might show up a year or two later, a hundred years later and find out, uh, you had this missing time. Uh, but, uh, have
2: you, have you heard of the Poya Batu forest in, in Romania?
11: I remember, you know, I, I read something about, uh, Romanian encounters. I'm not sure if that was the same location. Uh, a lot of activity, UFO type entity type stuff back in, uh, it was in, uh, Back in the nineteen fifties, and it was in yeah, Flying Sauce Review back years ago. Um,
2: I, I think it's in it's in that area exactly. And there's a um, even when Romania was a, a you know a, a dictatorship communist state under Ceausescu, um, they they seemed to the scientific community the the academy there, um, it, it, they didn't seem to frown on the study of this, but there's a I can't remember the name of the guy, but there's been a couple of um, you know, very credible researchers over there who have um been been researching these sightings and stuff. And anyway, this forest, Hoyabatu, it has a it's got like very weird, uh very strange trees growing in it. Um they're really weird shapes. And they like many kind of paranormal hot spots in the world, there's so many stories associated with it and um, for instance as you're saying about you know missing time there's a story about a, a a girl going missing and she was gone for five years and she came back still at an apparent age same clothes you know hadn't worn uh didn't didn't look like she'd had all that time passed and there's a little circular patch where nothing grows properly. Um, so it's like a little bald spot that's a, almost a circle in this forest. And this seems to be the kind of the, the the nexus of everything there. And I've seen a few paranormal shows going over there recently in the last few years to, to go and study it. And uh, they've encountered very strange feelings, like they've suddenly become extremely scared uh, for no reason. This was reported at Skinwalker Ranch as well. It's, uh, Some of these entities seem to have the ability to switch on the fear response in humans, but at a maximum Mm -hmm. level. And um, that's been reported. And obviously, um, orbs, I don't mean photographic orbs, but actual, you know, things, moving lights you can see in the forest with your own eyes. And, you know, there's no apparent source for these lights. So it's still... Like a lot of paranormal hotspots, there's probably times where not much is reported, and then you get like a, a flap of activity. But it's had a bad, it's had a bad or a mystical reputation for hundreds of years. But certainly, as you were saying, in in the 50s and 60s, there were some fantastic photos taken of uh, saucers and various other objects that were flying over this forest and elsewhere in Romania. You know, Romania and Bulgaria, both places I've been to. Um, you know, even even during the, the communist times, there there was actually a lot of study of UFOs, and um, there's actually some great cases in these places, uh, like all over the world. But I always mention that there are parts of the world that probably it's just a cultural thing, but we don't hear much about. We don't tend to hear much about UFOs in Africa, but there must be, you know, apart from things like um, the Zimbabwe school case, um, and. Uh, where else I suppose maybe some in Egypt but you know for a huge continent you think we would hear more about UFO cases from Africa but we don't
11: right but we know they're they're there that's that's for sure they must and be in, yeah and you know with Roma- Romania I remember uh, this article that I read Brent here. let's discuss that
1: article in our next segment because we have so much sure more said. to come with Gene and Gogs and Brent you're in
2: the Paracast. the <laughs> podcast
12: Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNLive.com today.
0: Attack of the Rockoids has been well received by critics and readers alike. It's a thrill a minute story you'll never forget.
14: Homemakers. Groceries by mail ships free. Try our amazing bacon. It stores in your pantry. No refrigeration required. Our value-added packaging provides a 10-year shelf life and protects the leanest, thickest, center-cut, fully-cooked bacon in America today. Ready to eat right from the pouch or warm and serve. Always price less than grocery for your everyday use. Savory and delicious. Order today at
19: readytoeatbacon.com. Readytoeatbacon.com. Fellow patriots, my name is Todd Savage, founder of BlackRifleRealEstate.com. Like you, I was a prisoner of the Alt-Left Sanctuary State until one day I chose to leave my family to freedom. Today we live on a sustainable 20-acre homestead where we shoot, hunt, garden, and homeschool our children without the tyranny of the nanny state looking over us. If you're ready to flee the city to the freedom of Idaho or Montana, our Black Rifle Real Estate team is here to help. Go to BlackRifleRealEstate.com. That's BlackRifleRealEstate.com.
0: back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
1: Oh, I miss that way of saying things so much. This guy's got the most wonderful accent in the world. Gogs Mackay, our guest co-host, Brent Rains. Gene Steinberg, Brent sorry to have interrupted you, but we always have to do these announcements, take care of the pieces of business. Go ahead, please. Oh,
11: sure. No, I remember a case, I think it was 1957, a young college student who uh, was in this area of Romania. And it was in Flying Sauce Review, and they did have a lot of uh, pictures published with the article, one that they thought might be an entity. And uh, anyway, the story was, and I've, I've heard similar stories, and it's high strangeness, where this guy had seen this strange object come down out of the sky. and it, it uh, landed inside this bush, so he takes a stick and he pokes it into the bush, and the stick disappears. And then he pokes a little further and gets to his hand, and he has this burning sensation, and uh, it was, as I recall, caused quite a bit of pain, but he was okay afterwards. But there's a lot of interesting stories like that. I, I there was another one from Brazil that I had had read where a beam of light hit a um, a car that this guy was driving in the roof of the car disappeared, you know, and you hear stories like this and uh, you think, what are we dealing with here? You know, I remember Keel writing once in one of his books, uh, his early books, ghost UFOs. What's the difference? You know, (laughs) we build up all these separate disciplines. You know, the ghost hunters are not supposed to a lot of feel people feel to go outside that discipline. The cryptozoologists, they stay within their camp and the ufologist a lot of expectation and pressure social pressure is they stay in their field as well and no one if you veer out you're becoming part of the lunatic fringe or you're not you're not part of the solution but on the other hand how do you address how do you you know explain all of these other anomalous things that keep cropping up all over the world
2: let's take all of the bigfoot sightings And you've got people arguing that they're an unknown primate or, and you get, let's for instance, say Stan Gordon's research. And there are many cases of Bigfoot um, or Sasquatch, let's call it, where maybe there's footsteps in snow or something, and then they just disappear and they've been shot at and they just disappear. I was just wondering, people always say about how they've got human like faces and, You know, they feel they've got some kind of intelligence. So uh, let's just go on a wacky thought here. And, like, if humans have souls that when we die can hang around somehow and not go on to where they're supposed to after, and they can be apparitions, well, perhaps Sasquatch has a soul as well. And sometimes people see a Bigfoot apparition, and that's why it can disappear. And that, that, that can explain that. So maybe there are real, like, physical animals, if you like, or type of humans that are Sasquatch. But other times there are almost like Bigfoot ghosts um, that look solid and stuff but disappear. So
11: that that may be a wacky explanation for the ones that seem to come and go. I got interested in Bigfoot back in the 70s and, and went out in the field myself and and uh, talked with a number of witnesses and researchers and. Uh, I know a a case here in not far from where I live here now and here in Tennessee uh, called Flintville. And uh, it was a small community and and this was out in the country.
2: Is this one of these ones where they're trying to habituate them and become more friendly with them?
11: Yeah, uh, there was one elderly woman that I talked with and uh, in her case, she was, she was throwing food out the back window Uh, you know, the kitchen sink to this uh, creature she said she was seeing. And then about three or four houses down, there was a family that they had a young four-year-old child that the thing had grabbed at. And uh, they pulled it inside the house and shut the door. And there was a gentleman that lived in between them who worked in a grocery store. And, and uh, he was telling me that he didn't really believe in Bigfoot per se. He thought this was some kind of genetic mutation crossbreeding between some, different species of animals or something. Couldn't tell me what animals, but anyway, he didn't want to believe in Bigfoot or Yeti or any of that. And so, and he was more worried about the hunters who were going around trying to shoot it, you know, or, or the crank phone calls he was getting. But he told me that whatever this creature was around, which he described a hairy six or seven foot tall hair covered humanoid form and he said that whenever the creature was around, there were these little balls of light that would appear over the treetops. Yeah, and uh, and in New in in New Jersey uh, back in back in seventy seventy seven, I went down there in April and uh, I was investigating some stories in around Somerville area. And uh, there was one young man who claimed that this thing. He heard footsteps behind him, and he turned around with his flashlight, and He was face to face with a with a Bigfoot, and said he and the Bigfoot both were like frozen, sort of staring at each other, while there was a little tiny ball of light uh, a few feet behind the the Bigfoot, uh, making kind of a high pitched sound. And then, as soon as the light extinguished itself and the sound stopped, the Bigfoot turned around and went the other way, and he continued on the road path that he was on in the direction he, you know, the opposite direction, Brooksville, Florida friend of mine who had been through a uh ufo close encounter and poltergeist activity and all this went to investigate bigfoot in brooksville which is a well-known ufo bigfoot hotspot from the 60s and uh she was telling me at the time as i recall that uh this was going to be different you know she would corresponded with john keel and who helped her deal with Uh, the issues she was experiencing during the poltergeist manifestations, but she didn't think that the Bigfoot was involved in, in all of those other elements. And, uh, but she got over there and began investigating cases. And pretty soon she and her partner were seeing the Bigfoot and UFOs right in the same areas. And uh, she even showed me a stretch of road, a little two lane road where there was like swamp area on both sides and telling me how this big ball of light had come down in front of her car, landed in the road and then took back off. And, uh, her partner, his name was Dwayne told me about, they were at this ranch where they were all these sightings where they had actually seen Bigfoot and, uh, what they were calling Bigfoot. And, uh, this kind of a disc flew low over his head with like windows in it. So, from those experiences, I, you know, I really thought, well, I think there's a connection, you know.
2: Yeah, th- there has to be. Um, I, sorry, these some of these cases you were mentioning were they, were they mostly in in uh, Tennessee?
11: I uh, no, the you know the one with Ramona and her partner Dwayne that was uh, that was in Florida, in Brooksville, Florida. And then the other one with the the man and the Bigfoot who came face to face, and there was the little. Point of light with the high pitched sound that was in New Jersey.
2: Yeah, I find what I find often quite interesting as well is when you sometimes you you hear these recordings of apparently in a Bigfoot, uh, and you know you've you've got to really imagine the context where somebody may be deep deep in the in the nor- northwest of you know Oregon or Washington woods or you know Western Canada. Um, we're talking hundreds of miles from, you know, any city and stuff or um, just maybe small towns around. And, you know, there's not going to be lots of people setting up speakers to to fake these sounds. And it's quite often these are hunters who have known these woods all their lives. They know what all the big animals sound like. And some of these recordings of uh, supposed bigfoot sounds are, you know, I can't identify with them and it... It automatically gives me a chill up my back, as if, as if there's some kind of um, genetic memory or or understanding, by, on a biological cellular level, that that is another intelligent creature along the lines of humans, and it's kind of howling and clicking and whatever. It's you know it's, it's they obviously can't speak like we can, but there, it does seem to be some kind of call and different
1: calls and communication. More to come with Brent and Jean and Gogs. You're in the Paracast. Neighbors, we've made such a deal with HelloFresh. And it means that everyone listening to this show can receive $30 off your first week of deliveries when you go to HelloFresh.com and use the offer code PARACAST30. You know, with HelloFresh, you can choose the delivery day that works best for you. They've got a wide variety of chef-curated recipes. that change weekly. And can you imagine me cooking Japanese panko chicken, It makes me feel like I'm a chef. It means also that you could actually get your meal cooked in 30 minutes. For busy people, this is perfect. The simple recipes include step-by-step instructions so even I can figure it out. Go to HelloFresh.com. Use the offer code PARACAST30 to get $30 off your first week of deliveries. HelloFresh.com
6: tried other brands, but I came back to my sunshine.
20: For the best hot or cold pain relief, get the best. Get a Sunny Bay heating pad.
6: Sometimes, life can be a pain in the neck, or back, or shoulder.
20: And the best relief for that pain is a Sunny Bay heating pad. Did you know that the American College of Physicians said that one of the best ways to treat muscle pain is heat therapy? Sunny Bay Heating Pads are handmade with high quality, can be used at home or at work, and have a lifetime 100% positive rating on both Amazon and Etsy.
6: Why take another pill?
20: Many people use our Sunny Bay Heating Pads alone and got rid of the neck pain. Long
4: distance travel or long hours in front of a computer can take its toll on your body.
6: Our homegrown small business tries to help people just like us. That's why we design and test our handmade products with great care before we introduce them to the public. You can easily find Sunny Bay Heating Pads on Amazon. Just go to amazon.com and search for Sunny Bay Heating Pads.
8: With uncertain times in the United States, it's only prudent to consider storing precious metals in a safe place outside our borders. And Miles Franklin, we have done just that for you. Partnered with the most respected storage company in the industry, Miles Franklin is proud to offer the only fully insured private safe deposit box program in North America held in Vancouver and Toronto. Send us your previously purchased precious metals or have one of our brokers help you purchase something new. Questions? Please call one of our experienced brokers at 866 485 54346 Solid foundational storage partnered with the most respected name and security maintaining an A+ plus Better Business Bureau rating and residing in Minnesota the only state in America that regulates the precious metals industry making doing business in precious metals with Miles Franklin the safest choice call us at 866-485-4346 again that's 866-485-4346 Miles Franklin Limited a name you can trust
0: we'd like to hear from you if you have a comment or question about the paracast send it to news at theparacast.com that's news at theparacast.com and don't forget to visit our famous paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com
1: before we get back to gogs and brent let me tell you about the paracast plus It's the answer to the complaints on YouTube and elsewhere that we have too many commercials because, oh, network shows have lots of commercials. We offer you a version of the show with better quality audio, a somewhat higher bit rate, 128K single channel, so it's pretty darn good. And we give you a show that doesn't have the network ads, plus the After the Powercast podcast and other surprises. In order to learn more, go to plus.thepowercast.com, plus.thepowercast.com. Prices start at just forty nine a week, but we offer something more. If you go for a five-year subscription or a lifetime subscription, we give you free stuff, free stuff, plus.thepowercast.com. Gogs, go ahead, please.
2: I was just commenting on the, the, some of the recordings I've heard, the, the apparent volume and power of, of these calls are frightening and there's obviously to generate that kind of sound takes, takes a lot of energy, takes a very large diaphragm and vocal cords. I don't think all these maybe some of them are, but some of these recordings to me appear genuine and I can't positively identify what's made these noises, but it doesn't sound like anything I've seen on a David Attenborough show. Or, you know, it is something different. I know. What, what, what do you think about Have you ever heard any of these apparent big foot calls, Brent?
11: Not personally. I know that I, I've listened to some audio as you, you have some I've heard. I, I didn't really can't really tell. I don't really know the people and haven't been to the, of the sites, but it's it's interesting. Some of them almost sound like they're trying to speak. I remember listening to a recording that Stan Gordon had when I visited him back in '75, where there was uh, a recording of of a creature uh, that was believed to be Bigfoot. Keel believed that there was actually these were actually temporary uh, appearances. You know, you would have a Bigfoot or some other kind of cryptid that was seen for a certain limited period of time and there would be animal mutilations and things occurring in that area and then it would cease like uh, it just disappeared from that 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 region and it might go on for a few days a week or two and it would often follow that pattern and he'd say you know that a creature that size would have to have a, a big appetite and then he thought that maybe they were some sort of temporary you know they either went in off to Back to another dimension, perhaps where they came from, or else they were, or they were perhaps temporary creations uh, that they were temporary forms that eventually decomposed. Because there have been reports, you know, of the creatures actually just vanishing. That would be the end of it. It's it's hard to say. I mean, it's it's uh, some pretty pretty spooky, high strangeness stuff has been reported.
2: Going back to UFOs, what do we think about the the current state of the of the field? And you were mentioning earlier about how maybe uh, UFOs are appearing to people uh, of in a in a form that they can accept, and it's of the time. And we can say that there's been a progression of the type of UFOs and the type of encounters and the type of beings and things like that. I just wonder. I don't. I'm, my finger's not really on the pulse just now. But you know, have there been any good sightings recently, or anything caught on film that's you know worth looking at? Are there any reported encounters, like third encounters of the third kind, or better? Is is there
11: anything new in the last year? Well, there are really always sightings going on, uh, whether we yeah. we're up on the latest or not. Uh, and of course, a lot of people don't. Don't want to uh, get involved. Of course, there's the National UFO Reporting Center up in, in Washington State. That that uh, David missile
2: silo, yeah.
11: Of course, a lot of those turn out to be uh, have natural explanations—Venus <laughs> on the horizon, or, or fireball, or something. But you know, I just talked to a family on the phone that had a pretty good sighting. I think uh, down in uh, Gulf Shores back on April twenty fourth. And uh, they tried to get pictures, but all the pictures are kind of blurry. It was a, you know, not the best camera to use, but they did capture a light. It wasn't on a tripod so it was handheld. so they had about nine pictures where it's kind of shaky. From their testimony, they they really saw something that moved up the shore extremely fast and uh, was sort of like a, in one instance, like a globe of some kind, a round, Basketball-looking thing that split into two basketball things, then came back together, and then went down the shore, and then split apart again, and then came back together, and then just disappeared. And they had a feeling that it knew where they were because it came right yeah. up over the hotel where they were watching it uh, from. But there are no telling how many. I know that the Dr. Edgar Mitchell Foundation for Research into extraterrestrial encounters or extraordinary encounters they they have received uh, several thousand reports from people claiming encounters with the you know non-human intelligent beings and a lot of the the things that they they have a survey uh, that people fill out and there's several hundred questions and and a lot of it deals with the paranormal and and the interactions with many times on a psychic level, and we need really more studies to pursue Mm -hmm. this and really narrow down the locations, too, of where these things are happening and and other information.
2: Remember as well that it's definitely the case, always the case that, say, of of 100 true sightings, you know, how many actually get reported? There's going to be Thousands of great sightings around the world that there was no record of. Uh, People don't want to report it because they're not into it. They don't want to believe it's something or they don't think anyone cares, you know, but obviously a percentage is. So uh, I always used to say that there are there are actually. I don't know if it's an app for like a, a modern phone, but there are certainly websites and stuff that log visually on the map, um, current and or recent UFO sightings. But with everyone, virtually everyone walking around with a smartphone now, be fantastic to have a program that just alerts you and says oh there's been a ufo spotted in your area and because these kind of communications are almost instantaneous you you there wouldn't really be any lag and if you're in the area you could like run outside and have a look up because you know it's all this thing about you know you need to look up to see ufos uh, unless one really comes and forces its presence on you but just to see things in the sky You know, people don't tend to look
1: up and... Because they want um, to look at their iPhone.
2: Exactly, exactly.
1: (laughs) This is how our entire world has been totally disrupted because we do that. The other thing here I want to ask, Brent, and this is my bugaboo with more about MUFON's questionnaires and such than the National Mm -hmm. UFO Reporting Center, is the limited amount of questions they ask about anything other than what you saw. And they treat it like you're witnessing something, an external event, we'll fo- and we'll nothing follow-up. about yeah. your personal experience and your background that might reflect on what you saw. But we've got so much more, lots more to talk about with Brent Rains and Gogs McKay, and even that guy, Gene Steinberg. Who's he? You're in the podcast. <laughs>
3: If you or anyone you love has been diagnosed with lung cancer, asbestosis, or mesothelioma, your diagnosis may be the result of job-related exposure to asbestos, and you may be entitled to compensation. Call Capital Legal Group now at 800-400-LUNG. Law firms have successfully recovered over $2.7 billion for their clients in all 50 states. If you or a family member were diagnosed with lung cancer, asbestosis, or mesothelioma, visit 800-400-LUNG.com or call 800-400-LUNG. That's
16: 800-400-LUNG.
20: normal blood pressure,
9: naturally. How would that make you feel?
3: I'm Don from New Mexico. Uh, January of 2000, I had a heart attack. Uh, Then my real health began going downhill. I had high blood pressure, diabetes, poor vision. I wasn't sleeping well. I was a mess.
9: Don reports dramatic improvements with heart and body extract.
3: I started taking heart and body extract from within a few days. I started sleeping better. My blood pressure normalized. My diabetes normalized. My sleep improved.
9: Experience these benefits and more when your body heals itself with the assistance of heart and Body Extract. Order at HBextract.com or call 866 295 5305. That's HBextract.com or call 866 295 5305. And
3: folks, I did not expect this at all. By the seventh, eighth, and ninth day, I saw dramatic improvements from taking Heart and Body Extract.
9: Heart and Body Extract comes with a 100% ironclad money back guarantee. Details at HBextract.com or call 866 295 5305 for Heart and Body Extract.
18: This is Jerome Clark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast.
1: So, as I was saying in the previous section, one of the bugaboos that I have with the structure of investigating UFO sightings and the questionnaires. And more MUFON than National UFO Reporting Center, because there it's kind of you report what you're going to report, but probably nobody's going to call you back. It's just collecting sightings. With MUFON, they do have the facilities to actually investigate things. But what they're asking there is about what they regard as an external event. You looked at a UFO, it's something external to you. You don't look at the family background. Did you ever see a UFO before? What about a ghost? What about Bigfoot? Did you ever suffer a case of missing time? None of that. And I asked Jan Harzan of MUFON last year, I said, What about these additional matters, which we think are important if you don't? And he said, If the witness includes it, it certainly we'll collect it. But they will do nothing to ask the questions in the first place or consider UFOs again as anything but. An external event.
11: I've been invited to a uh, MUFON meeting to talk at one time, and I was asked not to mention EVPs and not to mention poltergeist manifestations as I had done a previous time. <laughs> and I said, "Boy, that's starting to limit me."
2: That's shameful, really, because it's one thing it's one thing for MUFON not to inc- include these questions or not not to follow up and check back with people weeks after the sighting to see if anything else weirds happened it's one thing for them to be remiss but it's another for them to say no you may not include that and that's that's kind of censorship and that's that's this that's the stuff i don't like when The blinkers are on and it's like, no, UFOs are solid objects constructed and they come from another planet and you witness that and that's that. And it's so narrow a viewpoint. It may be correct. They may get the correct information uh, and build a good picture of what happened. But at the same time, they're just not allowing themselves to even think that other factors may come into play or other experiences may be connected. And because, you know, I I have to think that, you know, uh, quite often people who see one weird thing, they have some other thing. As as Jean just said, they may have ghosts, poltergeists, or or there may be some family history of, you know, the grandmother saw something and uh, everyone and uh, all these things. But definitely the, the, the net needs to be cast wider and the investigations need to basically just have no boundaries. I know. I know you can't like ask an infinite number of questions, but you can certainly just even say, "Has anything else strange happened? Or, you know, to you recently or in the past?" Just even if they had one question like that, it opens up the possibility for the the person being interviewed, the witness, to say, "Well, a year ago this happened, or back in our old house, whatever." But what you just said there, Brent, there, that was censorship, and that, that really bugs me. Back in
11: 1973, uh, when we had that massive UFO wave that was being reported all over the country, I was down in and in, in around Jacksonville, Florida, and there was a, a young woman there who had reported seeing a disc-shaped object with lights around the rim flying low over the treetops right right near her on two separate nights and myself and my friend Ramona, who came to investigate the, the Bigfoot uh, in Brooksville and also was uh, an experiencer herself with UFO poltergeist manifestations, she was there also. And, you know, I was just learning how to talk to people, and she brought up the point asking this young woman, have you had any other unusual experiences in your life? And her initial reaction was, well, no. And then she paused. And then she says, well, there was a time that I got a phone call from someone that I knew who was dead and they wanted to come visit me. And I I cried and I said, no, no. And then she remembered another time of seeing an apparition. And pretty soon there was, gosh, a half dozen or so stories, you know, from this girl who initially said no, but she'd kind of. Pushed it all back, in, you know, in her memory, and, yeah. and uh, she was mainly focused on what was happening in present time. And then uh, Ramona told me that this is how you need to approach things. Now, I generally go by an unstructured interview approach, and I just let the person tell their story as much as they want, and then ask follow-up questions and ask, you know, has there been any other things that have mystified you or have puzzled you over the years, and see what they say from there. And, and Jacques Vallée wrote a, about a, a woman in California he had interviewed one time. He was following up on a report by some investigators. He had read the reports, and then he went to interview this witness who had seen a craft that rose into the air and then took off down a, a valley. When he was interviewing the witness, he noticed that the witness said that the UFO, this solid-looking object, actually passed directly through these trees like it was a ghost, you know, ghost ship. Valley said, well, the report by these other people doesn't mention that. Uh, how come it's not in their report? And he said, well, I could tell from the things they were telling me. And before we did the interview that they didn't believe, yeah, they, wouldn't have, they wouldn't have believed it. So I didn't tell them, but I, says, I he said, yeah. I can tell you're more open-minded.
1: I want to stop and interrupt you for a second, Brent, because it's really an interesting point. Do you see any other evidence of that where people will hold back the really wacky stuff? because they don't want people to disbelieve them. And certainly an organization like MUFON that's looking for spaceships because they're evangelizing spaceships, they'll never ask the question, they'll never pursue something. But I guess if you make a person feel comfortable that you're not going to laugh at them when they give you the wacky aspects, such as something going through the trees, they may tell you.
11: Yeah, um, I have encountered that a number of times. In fact, there was a a case that comes to mind up around the Spring Spring Hill area north of me that I was investigating a few years ago, and this gentleman initially reported his sighting to MUFON. But I believe I was the yeah, I was the first investigator to actually arrive on the scene and do an investigation. I had heard I was in touch with the state head of MUFON at that time. And so I went up and uh, interviewed the people and about their He and his wife seeing a kind of disc-shaped domed object uh, flying by the house. And then I went ahead and just, you know, let him tell his story and then ask questions. And has anything else ever happened? And he told of other stories. And eventually I also got in touch with his brother, his twin brother, who lived up in New York at the time, who confirmed a lot of these events that went back to childhood and uh but he told me something very interesting he said that in i think it was cherry creek new york which i know has had other reports of of ufo type activity that he was hunting up there uh one winter and uh he saw a, a deer and he was he was fixing to take aim and all of a sudden the deer became a silver suited being and this being held out its left hand, he kind of demonstrated for me, and in the hand was a small silver ball. And the silver ball suddenly shot over to him and was just inches from his face. And then the next thing he knew, he he uh, was waking back up, laying on the ground.
1: Let's continue with this in our next segment. do want to mention here that we got Brent... As a result of the fine recommendation from our good friend, Tim Beckley, my good buddy, who tells me that on the edge of reality, Dreamweaver's Masters of Time and Space by Brent has been published by our friend, Mr. UFO Tim Beckley. He says it's available at Amazon.com and the fascinatingly provocative, this is what he says, home movies of Stella Lansing can be searched for on Tim's YouTube channel mr ufo's secret files he's got over 170 audio and video presentations so far and he's updating them that's from tim beckley more with brent and gogs and gene you're in the podcast
12: thank you for listening to gcn be sure to visit GCNLive.com today
7: Hi, it's Grant Cameron from presidentialufo.com. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: We're back with Brent Rains and Gogs McKay and Gene Steinberg. Brent, I did mention this book that Tim had published for you a few years back. Can you tell me more about it?
11: Yes, published in 2009. it uh, includes a lot of the um, interviews that I did with a lot of people in the field uh, for alternate perceptions. It's basically a a book of interviews. We talk about everything from shamanic type events to Bigfoot and UFO close encounter entity cases. um, And also quantum physics, Um, a lot of good stuff in there. It's, a lot of high strangeness, you know, like we've been talking about. But can we look
1: here for a real unified field theory of the UFO phenomenon? Or are these mostly separate events?
11: Right. It's this trying to find to connect the dots, trying to find meaningful patterns. And as I was saying, this gentleman up in Spring Hill, Tennessee was telling about this experience in New York. And prior to interviewing him a few months earlier i had interviewed uh, a gentleman who tim beckley knows quite well who uh, was outside he was a, a country music singer a stunt man and back around 1976 outside las vegas he claimed that he'd encountered a spaceship and a humanoid being approached him in the desert he was his car had stopped working he had the hood up and this being approached him and he initially thought that what he was seeing was a was like a, a blimp of some kind wasn't thinking ufos and then suddenly i think there was like a flash on the ground and there was two beings and one of them approached him and he demonstrated how the being pulled out uh, reached out with his left hand and there was a ball in his hand and it levitated up from his the palm of his hand and And it was his left hand. I said, it was left hand. And he said, yes, because i had been noticing kind of like hemispheric shifts with different experiences, psychic mediums. This is this is known going way back. Uh, Nanda Forter's Encyclopedia of Psychic Science describes this type of thing. And so here was another example that I heard in the same year of uh, a being with uh, the sphere and it rose up from his hand, levitated. It grew in size. From like, whatever it was, a a baseball to like basketball or something, and and then there were these like explosions around the top of it, and he was explaining how if we didn't change our way of doing things, that this would be like nuclear explosions across the earth, and this was going to upset the balance of the universe. Stories we've heard from similar other contacts, but. The left-handed aspect interested me, and I started pouring through the Flying Saucer Review from England and other sources. And in the Flying Saucer Review, which collects all these reports from international sources, had two cases in Argentina and another one in Finland where people reported encountering beings who produced strange spherical objects in their left hand. And uh, they might levitate. They might project beams of light or something. And they also seem to maybe be part of the communications process or or some some role. For a while, I was I was working with with free who's been collecting a lot of contact material, and Ray Hernandez helped me to produce a questionnaire of people having experiences with different instruments uh, and what hand the being was using, whether they were left or right handed. Usually, it was surgical instruments or Uh, some kind of a cylinder or a wand, or maybe something like a cell phone. It was usually right-handed. But it seems that for some reason, the spherical objects were left-handed. And I saw on Ancient Aliens recently, uh, William Henry, Tennessee's investigative mythologist who works with Whitley Strieber, he was showing a da Vinci picture of of a Christ figure with a sphere in the left hand, and then right on Right after that showed uh, one of uh, a Buddha with a sphere in the left hand. So I've written to him, hoping he'll answer, you know, because he's more involved in the historical research of those areas and and see if there are other illustrations, uh, portrayals of uh, this this spherical object and, and how it's being handled. I was just talking with a psychologist last night on the phone about this issue, and he said, well, you know, If it's something that we use, say, like a cell phone, you know, where it's given us information, a digital display, like, or some kind of display, we would hold it, say, in our left hand and use our right hand to perhaps manipulate it. So whatever it is, it it seems significant, a pattern that's, you know, uh, if I hadn't been really already interested in in the fact that uh, I've had a number of people report voices only to the left side and kind of like a shift or going left-handed from right-handed during an entrenchment with a perhaps UFO type situation. I might well have just not even noticed that these people were talking about, you know, that the left hand was involved. Um, So, you know, there's these little patterns that you try to watch for and see if there's any kind of meaningful connection. And I'm still, still, still looking at that. But uh, that's going to be in my book uh, on John Keel because he looked into all those sorts of things too.
2: What What was the uh, report of the the form of these beings? Because you know, there's we we get the, so many descriptions, and I, I'm always interested in the small differences. Like, do they have you know X amount of fingers, or what kind of hands they have, or how long are the joints? What where are the eyes, the nose, and stuff? There are so many. Uh, even just the fact that some actually are reported to, yes, walk on the ground where others have kind of floated along. What what was the description there? And in, in uh, some of these cases, you were talking about with the handedness as well, which is
11: interesting. Well, generally they were um, they were like in a uh, like a silver suit. Uh, in one case, the face was not. He could see everything but the face, and that kind of puzzled him. And uh, that was the guy that had the Cherry Hill, I mean, uh, Cherry Creek, New York experience. And he also had experiences with ghosts that, uh, and when he noticed whenever, uh, there was a ghost around a presence trying to communicate with him from the spirit world that his, um, his left hand would start to jerk. Uh, and he was right-handed and, and that would happen during these ghost experiences or spirit experiences. And, And again, it's the hemispheric thing. And and he would also have some difficulty breathing. And uh, but anyway, getting back to how they were dressed, uh, a lot of times they seem to be in some kind of a a uniform like a silver suit. Uh, They appear to be human-like, humanoid. And uh, uh, they were all, you know, there was one that was in Finland that was a female that appeared to this witness twice, both times with this uh, round object in her left hand, and uh, the others kind of got the impression that they were male, um, particularly in the the Argentine and the uh, Las Vegas cases. Yeah, these
2: uh, these kind of th- the whole idea of spheres and orbs that seem to know um, is you know not always with UFO sightings, but there's. There's often sightings where there's these kind of floating orbs, and people just get the overwhelming feeling that there's an intelligence there, and it knows. And uh, you know, I sometimes wonder: is it is it the the the, the orb thing? Is that is this the master? And it is it is projecting the the beings and stuff because it it brings a lot of kind of scientific problems to have human like beings because it's people think well you know would would Aliens on a distant planet—would they evolve so closely along the lines of us to end up with two arms, two legs, you know, two feet, two eyes at the front of a head and stuff? And you know, yes, you could say that uh, evolution works along similar lines, so that things in the water are going to end up with you know fins and whatever things to steer and and uh, propel themselves. But it they the similarities and the differences of these humanoid beings. You that that's a that's a big clue for me as well that there's something else going on because it's it's difficult for me to believe that you know there are so many different aliens reported, but you know they're all kind of similar. You get tall grey short ones, you get tall whites, you get you know whatever insectoid things and I do believe that people see some of these things, even the weirder ones, especially the weirder ones.
1: We're going to have (laughs) some more weird stuff in our next segment, but I do want to remind you that we give away free stuff for long-term subscriptions to the Paracast Plus. For more information, go to plus.theparacast.com. With Brent and Goggs and Gene, you're in the
2: Paracast. Paracast.
1: stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the PowerCast. You go to store.thepowercast.com,
18: stop by
1: and take a shopping tour.
18: Looking for that edge during those intimate moments? We see many ads for enhancement, but the side effects include death. At GCN Team, we should change the Healthy Body Brain and Heart Pack to the Healthy Libido Pack. The brain and heart are not the only organs that require a healthy vascular system. For proper blood flow at the right moment, go to GCNTeam.com or call 877-878-4203. That's 877-878-4203. That's 877-878-4203. This is
7: Dan Pilla. Do you owe the IRS money you can't pay? Are tax debts crippling you?
0: Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Jane
1: Steinberg. Okay, that's Scogs Mackay hoping to be Porky Pig. So if they ever want to redo the <laughs> cartoons, that's all folks know I want to do that. Let me ask you something, Brent Raines. I see from your bio that you're coming out with a new book about the one, the only John Keel. What is that going to be out? And what can you tell me? What kind of insights are you going to offer?
11: It's going to be a a few months away since I just submitted it. And uh, it's going to be about, you know, his not, not only kind of a biography about John Keel, but also how he influenced me and, and others and the kind of, uh, Stories that I investigated, cases, uh, people I've talked with, witnesses, researchers, and 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 other people. Um, for example, I, I also have some interviews in this. I communicated with some researchers in Sweden who Keel visited uh, these people back in 1976 as well. In 1969, there was a Swedish researcher, Aki Brazen, who went to. Point Pleasant, West Virginia, met Mary Hire and Linda Scarberry, and many of the the witnesses that we've read about. And spent several weeks down there. And uh, initially, he was thinking about getting some kind of a, a net and trying to catch this creature if it was real. And then he realized that when he got down there, that there was this was not a real logical approach. That he realized a lot of this was was psychic, paranormal. And he, uh, he went back again in 1970, I believe, uh, the year following that, and did further investigations. And um, he had helped Keel with some material for Operation Horse back, you know, earlier when he was working on that book, uh, dealing with the mystery flyers from the 1930s and maybe mystery submarines, too, over in, over in their country in Sweden. And I also was in touch with uh, Hacken Blankovic, who is a, a Swedish researcher and and involved with a lot of archive, a library that they have over there in Sweden that's collecting. Yeah, it's much the
2: biggest material. archive, isn't it? It's the biggest archive. That's what the
11: FOP, that's what got. I understand. You know, yeah. and uh, they're gathering everything that they can. They've asked me for some of my earlier issues of my magazine before it became professionally published There's, I think maybe close to 30 that they don't have. And the real that's early para form.
2: <laughs> that's an honor. That's an honor to have your stuff requested for that. You know, it'll be in good company.
11: Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, Hackham has provided me with, um, some photos of Kiel when he was in Sweden and some of the correspondences they had and such. And, and, uh, so I'm getting, background information i've interviewed uh, rosemary uh guiley who was uh, a member of his uh, new york 14 society going back in the early 80s and used to meet uh john in, in new york for dinner and they had talk and he had a huge influence on her and, and and many other people i've got an interview with paul eno oh yeah uh, of rhode island who's who's had a lot of experience was investigating paranormal years ago. Uh, and believes that a lot of this is, you know, the, and he believes, as Keel believed, that there was a lot of interconnection with these different relationships and with the UFO and paranormal. And that he pretty much subscribes to the idea of, of you know, that we're dealing with with uh, other realities, uh, other dimensions.
1: By the yeah, way, Paul- we are offering a free copy of the book that Paul wrote with his son for those who subscribe to the PowerCast Plus for a full lifetime. We're offering that book, plus other free books. So if you're interested, you'll check out plus.thepowercast.com. And it's kind of interesting How, here that Rosemary Ellen Guiley was also part of that New York 14 Society. I went to some of the meetings and probably met those people, but most probably don't remember me or prefer not to remember me. Cogs,
2: I think it was something to do with, uh yes, Paul um, he last time i i um, i heard him you know he he does a i think he does a podcast with his son but i've heard him on other shows and they have uh they've definitely according to them identified one of these kind of uh, potential window area somewhere in the northeast i'm not sure where i don't think they are uh, um being public in- with it
11: it's in Connecticut, I know that. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. That kind of, you know, I, I say the Stan Gordon region, you know, that his <laughs> his kind of uh stomping grounds. And um I, I believe, you know, his a so couple of weird things happened to him and his son. High very high strange things and Something that very much goes along with uh, Chris O'Brien. Chris O'Brien has um, six or seven somethings that I uh, that are always present when you have a window area hotspot, and it may be um, there's been long, long, uh, uh, long-standing religious or cultural kind of uh, meanings or something attached to a place of worship or something. There's always. A military present uh, presence around, and you know, there's a number of other factors that you know you tick the boxes, and this this always happens. And uh, I believe what uh, Paulino is and Ben have uh, identified is possibly one of them because they were very interested. And suddenly there was the, they were researching, and then suddenly there was this uh, military uh, presence in a non-military area, it's not a training area, there's no kind of camps nearby or forts, you'd probably call them in America, and um suddenly they turned up and, you know, they, I don't know if they bought the land or something, but they stopped people from going where uh, stuff was on, just a classic kind of case of um uh, you know, the military turning up and saying, no, you can't come down here da-da-da for whatever reason and um, so it, it does seem that up there in Connecticut and the, the northeast of the states, so there's there's certainly a few places with some interesting stuff going on, um, and obviously the the uh, the location of of uh, what sorry I forget his name but Ted who used to work with um J Allen Hynek Ted was the second name Phillips Ted Phillips that's it yeah that area he was researching Marley Woods. And that was that was kept secret for ages but um somebody let the cat out of the bag and there's a lot going on there so there there are uh, current window areas that seem to be active right now and uh if i if I were to it's a long time since I've been to the states but um if I were to come back I think I'd be heading to one of these places to see if I could catch any sightings and uh, Brent have you? had any UFO sightings yourself or any ghost sightings or paranormal events?
11: Uh Yeah, I, I, um, I didn't at first in the beginning and, and I used to complain, <laughs> why <laughs> yeah. haven't I had any experience, you know, but, um, um, I've had some strange experiences. Uh, one time seeing a uh, Indian blanket and I've been involved in sweat lodges and such. used to have a sweat lodge behind the house, you know, for doing, uh, Meditation work, and uh, one day there's a Indian blanket uh, draped over uh, the top of a dresser in my bedroom, and and I'm thinking, wow, that's I don't remember that being there. My my wife must have put it there, but I I wondered what it was. It was like there was a big lump in it, you know, and I I remember thinking, I guess I should check it out, but. Dang, what if one of those little Cherokee little people was under (laughs) there? Trickster, you know? (laughs) So I I said, heck with it. I'm just going to roll over, turn the light out, and go to sleep. And the next morning, the sun's coming in the room. The the, the room is all lit up. And I look over at the dresser, not even thinking about it. And then it dawns on me, where'd that blanket go? And then about four weeks later, roughly, um, there was, uh, I woke up in the night. I turned on the light and there was the Indian blanket again, a Native American Indian blanket. And I sat up in bed and I, I, uh, moved around. I took my arms, stretched them out straight, you know, and I kind of went this way and that way. I pinched myself. I made sure nobody could say that, Hey, Brent, you weren't wide awake, you know? Well, we're going to have to
1: do this to stay wide awake. This piece of business. We'll be back with (laughs) Brent.
4: Hello, this is Dr. Bill Deagle, MD of Nutramedical.com, announcing the breakthrough Red Deer Velvet DR. It delivers the protected building blocks of all organs and tissues, allowing your own stem cells as architects and engineers to regenerate you. Not since fetal life, when aging does not occur, has such an amazing Nutramed been available to help heal you and regenerate you. Anti aging requires that you correct mineral, activated nutraceutical, and jump the gene defects and poor diet you have to deliver the cellular tools for regeneration. You must remove old, damaged cells and replace them with your young, healthy cells to wind the biological clock to a younger you. Order your Red Deer Velvet DR now at Nutrimedical.com 247 or 888 212 8871. That's Nutrimedical, N U T R I, medical, M E D I C A L.com. Or call our order line, 888
18: Looking for that edge during those intimate moments? We see many ads for enhancement, but the side effects include death.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
1: We're in our final three segments of our introductory meeting with Brent Rains and the return of Gogs Mackay. Brent? Please continue that discussion. That's fascinating.
11: Okay. Well, anyway, I was still, you know, looking at this blanket and everything about it seemed very real, but I, I, you know, I was thinking to myself, okay, (laughs) I still don't want to go over to it. It's just, it's just kind of feels kind of strange, you know? (laughs) And uh, maybe it's a good thing I, I didn't, because as I was looking at it, it, started to blur like you're looking at something through a binoculars and you change the focus the only thing was it was the only thing that was blurring everything else was normal focus and this blanket just blurred its way out of existence it was within moments gone
2: where where did it do so did you own a blanket like this and where, where where did you first get it you know it was if it was like original uh real, if you know I mean, um, not like some copy. Where did you get it?
11: Well, I I don't think it was mine. Uh, It was just there. I mean, I knew my wife had some Indian-type blankets, because she's pot Native American that was stored in a closet, but I didn't remember any being in my room. And then, again, there it was in the dresser, which I didn't remember it being there, any of those blankets. And all I could tell you is it was a Native American-type blanket, you know, those kind of uh, images on it, and uh, and then uh, it just faded, it blurred out of sight, and then wasn't there. And uh, I was certain I was I was wide awake. Then there's another issue that I was doing some paranormal investigations with some people, two of whom were actually UFO abductees, and one of them had been doing EVP work using a ghost box, which. Um this was a uh, a Radio Shack digital radio, AM, FM, and it was modified so that it was on continuous scan. And the theory is yeah. that the the spirit voices can ride over the white noise in between stations. Yeah,
2: and and you know, you've got a really interesting one with because people can say, oh well, the odd word might come through as it as it's skipping channels. but if you get a full sentence over multiple sweeps, then the chances of that being uh, just you know uh, random is is just you know really, really minuscule. So they would I've seen people using those gospel boxes and sometimes some really relevant, timely stuff has come out um, that that couldn't be by chance. So I, I do believe that they, they can be manipulated by spirits or whatever. And I do think they work. And sorry to interrupt, Brent, uh, but I'm really interested in things like this technology and, uh, you know, ghost boxes and stuff.
11: Well, we have, we have done it both with, you know, the digital recorder holding it yeah. and then, and also recording sessions with the, the ghost box mm-hmm. and um, the way it evolved was this was in 2010 and it was you know keel had passed away in 2009 july 3rd and uh so i it was in march we were at a haunted location 2010 an old 100 year old church and we were in the basement and people had heard footsteps and so we're going to see if we could get anything and honestly i didn't think we we did that i could tell but um A couple months later, we were at a site investigating and, uh, John Keel came through twice and we asked about, uh, if there was Bigfoot in the area and this voice said monsters and, you know, I showed the, this investigator that came through his ghost box that says, now John Keel called Bigfoot monster. You know, it was real popular term with him. Um, you know, he, he, uh, his first letter to me, I showed him his first letter that Keel wrote, and he said he was working on Strange Creatures from Time and Space, a book, an encyclopedia on monsters, he called it. And uh, in that book that later came out, he uh, he the first chapter, he mentions the word monsters, you know, yeah. Uh, in a lot of people's area worldwide. So, so did, um, did he,
2: did he identify himself when he came through? on yes, the ghost Yes. Box or he actually through, said, there, I am John Keel.
11: He actually said John Keel. I heard it right. twice and we yeah. recorded it. And, and then later I went back over my audio from March when I didn't think I heard anything. And there was a point where Brett Oldham asked, um, Jesse, who was my wife's deceased brother. To come through, and what happened was, is a voice said, what sounded like Keel Johnny, <laughs> you yeah. know, and then it was like two voices arguing, and I let my wife hear it with headphones because it wasn't real loud, but I says that sounds like your brother's voice arguing with somebody, and I think he's using really bad language, and she agreed, but what happened later? It was July third. I was I'd been kind of on the fence. Then July third of 2010, we were doing a session at uh, the home of Sandy Nichols near Nashville in Thompson Station. I asked him. I said, "You know, this is the one-year anniversary of Keel's passing. Can we try to reach him?" You know, sure, yeah. So we're recording this. I believe we had three recorders going, and we had a, a stereo speakers hooked up to the. Uh, one of the radios, and uh, Brett asked, can you get John Keel, because we work through these spirit guides, to say his name if he's there? And within seconds, two or three seconds, a male voice says John Keel.
2: It's a relevant and, and timely answer, so yeah, that's that's to me, that's pretty amazing.
11: Yeah, uh, and this happened a number of times, and then we asked, um, now that he's on the other side, what can he tell us about Bigfoot? And this strong male voice said, smuck Bigfoot, see? <laughs> smuck Bigfoot. Smuck. Sounded like smuck. smuck Bigfoot. Yeah. Right. And then there was like two other voices that said, see, and then another one said, see. And so then I asked at one point about, uh, about Do. and the voice said, uh, jedu eh that's what it sounded like jedu and followed by eh and uh and we were kind of shocked and and i remember brett was saying did he just say it and sandy says yes he just said the words i thought okay gotta strike while the iron's hot so i asked again yes what can you tell us about jedu which was you know the part of the title of his first book back in 1957 Jadu Mysteries of the Orient, where he had been traveling in Egypt and India and places and studying their ideas on mysticism. Jadu was black magic. And uh, anyway, this voice sounded like the same voice, male voice, was talking and he was fading in and out. But it started out uh, with into the fire, into the fire, and then blah, 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 mumble, mumble. Can't tell what he's saying. And then teach me outside.
1: You know what? We'll have oh. to go outside if we don't have these announcements. They'll just toss us out. <laughs> More to come with Brent, Gene, and Gogs. You're in. The Podcast.
12: Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
22: So sign up for free at ParanormalDate.com. That's ParanormalDate.com. Use the code word George and start meeting others. Get going now and connect with someone you like.
6: How well and how fast does heart and body extract work to improve blood circulation? Listen.
22: My name is Ellis, and
10: I'm 66 years old, and I live in Jacksonville, Florida. Two years ago, I was diagnosed as having clogged arteries. I had 70% blockage in one artery leading to my heart. They wanted me to go on Plavix, but I refused knowing the negative side effects.
6: Heart and body extract is a unique balance, synergy, and proportion of herbs reaching from head to toe at maximum absorption around 95% at the cellular level.
10: Within the first month, I felt a dramatic difference. The heaviness in my legs was reduced, and within two months, I felt completely normal
6: your natural organic herbal formula for heart health is heart and body extract heart and body extract comes with a 100 percent ironclad money-back guarantee details at hbextract.com or call 866-295-5305 for heart and body extract call 866-295-5305 866-295-5305 for heart and body extract
14: Hi, this is Joshua P. Warren,
3: author of The Poor Man's Paranormal, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: Gogs McKay, and we're going to have Brent try the Paracast a little bit later. Brent Rains, Gene Steinberg. Interesting about the stuff with John Keel. Now, we had a John Keel memorial episode probably a few months after he died. There was a general consensus here that as much as his viewpoints were interesting, intriguing, thought-provoking, his investigative process could have been more rigorous. In doing a biography of Keel, what's your perception?
11: Well, you know, he, uh, he made some mistakes. That's That's addressed in the book, too. Um, one of which was the the time he was in the area sky watching, and he talked about how the moon didn't come up when it was supposed to, and uh, and come to find out, he supposedly got that information from a local paper. But if he had pursued it further, looked into it further, he would have known that the moon he thought it was supposed to rise at something like one twenty nine, mm-hmm. it didn't come up. And in fact, it came up, I think a little after three o'clock and I, I provide a link, um, a link on the, um, uh, the readers of the book can actually check and see that, that, uh, the correct time it was supposed to have risen. So he, you know, he made a mistake there. Um, he sounded like from my communications with him that he initially was kind of hesitant to even write the book, the Mothman prophecies. And, had all of his notes and things stored in a big suitcase.
2: Do you think maybe he was, he saw himself more as like a journalist rather than like a a UFO researcher?
11: Well, he wrote on, on other, other areas too. Uh, And, uh, you know, not just strictly the UFO. Uh, He was uh, interested in reptiles and snakes and things and, and uh, wrote, wrote novels, fiction. He, he used to write screenplays and, uh, uh, used to write scripts for lost in space, the old lost in space episodes of the sixties. And he worked with like Merv Griffin and others. He would be in the background, uh, providing humorous comments. I think, uh, through a head, you know, ear earpiece that they would have, you know, he, he, um, he was pretty good at uh, a lot of tongue-in-cheek humor and such, and he was used by, you know, people in the tel- television industry to come up with ideas and, uh, co- you know, comments and and uh, write screenplays for different programs. Do you know which ones, you know which programs? Yes, he did write Lost in Space, and, and I would have to unfortunately looked that up again. I, I do mention some of these. He also was a science writer for a while editor or science writer for uh Funk and Wagnall's encyclopedia. And, uh, he worked different jobs in Washington, DC, uh, for different branches of the government. Uh, I think one was the air force office, uh, of information and the health health department. And, uh, he, uh, he got around and, and did quite a bit. He, he seemed to be always writing something. I remember reading that he would even go to the bathroom with a typewriter, still clicking away.
1: <laughs> well, that certainly puts an odor on those particular books. But more to the point, <laughs> what's so sad about it is probably Mothman Prophecies in the end was his most successful book because he sold it as a movie. And made some money from that at the end of his life, he was in pretty bad financial shape. So whatever he did, it didn't have staying power. Did it?
11: No, he had a, he had a difficult time in the end. He kind of, I think people found that it was kind of difficult sometimes, uh, to, I was told to be around him because he, he would be kind of depressed and kind of negative. in some of, some of his comments, I know he wrote me once that we were just kind of coming to the end and we were never going to figure it all out. And and he had come to believe pretty much that we were dealing with deceptive intelligences that were quite negative. I asked him, we were talking once about angels and Marian apparitions. And uh, I asked, you know, you're always writing about the demonic type stuff, uh, the, the deceptive trickster type elements how about something positive positive? and he said back in the late 60s 70s he circulated some sort of uh, paper he says maybe you didn't get it but in that uh, document i pointed out that i felt that what we were dealing with didn't have our best interests in mind i want to take a more upbeat approach i realize there is the negative and there is the positive and there is you know there are a lot of deceptive elements that seem to creep into these things you know, I know that, for example, my communications, apparent communications with John Keel, is something that he had stated that that sort of thing he believed was not real, that uh, what you were getting was actually a mimic or a, a being that was pretending to be some, someone else and not that person on the other side. You know, it's very and, interesting
1: uh, here that this demonology kind of approach, some religions consider UFOs to be demonic and therefore evil. I know that my late uncle, Lewis Kaplan, who was my wife's uncle, he was the brother of my father-in-law, he was involved in a so-called Jews for Jesus movement. and He lived out in Scottsdale, Arizona in his final years. And they gave me a book on UFOs where they had to state some kind of incantation to get rid of the evil UFOs. And I was thinking of John Constantine, the DC character, who would be this professional exorcist or something. So did you follow much of that? Is that something similar to what Kiel believed without the religious overtones?
11: Yeah, that, you know, he considered himself more at times he said he was more of a demonologist than than anything, even though he was a lifelong atheist and he had uh, nothing to feel really upbeat about with with the phenomena, uh, which kind of pretty disturbing perspective, really. He just saw tricksters everywhere, and he said even the you know the angel type experiences, the Marian apparitions that he said they always end end up with a a sour ending is, is the way I think he described it. And, um, but I keep looking for, you know, optimistically that it's, it's not quite the way that, that Kiel had portrayed, although he, he certainly brought a lot of this into focus and, 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 uh, there's a lot of elements to these stories that, you know, you do have to wonder about, and is this really on the level? The, the, the stories of the, the, the beings do often seem to be uh, deceptive, trickster-like. And uh, they come from all over the universe, uh, places we've never even heard of, uh, hundreds and hundreds of places from you know the accounts that we get. Um, or else they're all from... Familiar places we hear about the Zeta Reticula or, or the Sirius constellation. Um, but um, I do know that these things do exist. I mean, like to me, uh, I have gotten, and I've posted uh, some of these recordings that we've had from in the February and March issue of 2017 and, and alternate perceptions. And uh, just to show you how interactive it can be, I had one where here at my home, just my wife and me doing a recording. And suddenly I got John Keel, Brent, Bert here. And uh, Bert was Brothold Swartz, who was a psychiatrist who I'd corresponded with for about 37 years.
1: We're going to get into Uh, that in our next segment. We have one more segment with Brent Rains. We have Gogs and Mackay. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in
11: the Paracast.
12: Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
1: As you know, neighbors, web hosting can be pretty cheap, but not all hosting is the same.
19: Fellow patriots, my name is Todd Savage, founder of BlackRifleRealEstate.com. Like you, I was a prisoner of the Alt-Left Sanctuary State until one day I chose to leave my family to freedom. Today we live on a sustainable 20-acre homestead where we shoot, hunt, garden, and homeschool our children without the tyranny of the nanny state looking over us. If you're ready to flee the city to the freedom of Idaho or Montana, our Black Rifle Real Estate team is here to help. Go to BlackRifleRealEstate.com. That's BlackRifleRealEstate.com.
4: You have been lied to generation after generation, time after time after time. If you follow the money, then you understand why America's in the condition it's in.
5: Now you created the Star Reserve in 1913 through lies. You create 9-11, through 9-11, then you're fighting a war on terror, and now all of a sudden you go into Iraq, which was another lie.
4: This book will open people's eyes. Pre-order now at KillingUncleSamBook.com. KillingUncleSamBook.com.
13: Are you retired or facing retirement and you're afraid your income is going to be less than you'd like? I'm Pharmacist Keith, Dr. Wallach, the Dead Doctors Don't Lie guy, and I want to show you a low-cost way to create your own business, working around your current schedule, creating extra income that will last for years to come by joining Dr. Wallach's crusades, spreading his message of better health. To learn more, visit radio.recordedvideo.com, that's radio.recordedvideo.com, radio.recordedvideo.com, or call 866-257-3105 for a recorded message.
15: your own plan for self-reliance. That's where my Patriot Supply comes in. Get a 4-week survival food supply for only $99. That includes breakfast lunches, and dinners. Order online at preparewithgcn.com. 99 bucks for 4 weeks of survival food that tastes like homemade cooking and lasts up to 25 years from my Patriot Supply. Get your kits today at preparewithgcn.com. Free shipping is included. preparewithgcn.com.
7: This is Jacques Vallée. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: Back at you, the Paracast, and we're continuing our visit with Brent Rains of Alternate Perceptions Magazine. You know, next time you come on the show, we'll have you on in the future. I'd like to bring along some of the recordings you've made, the ones you have posted at the Alternate Perceptions site, and let's see what our listeners think, and maybe what we'll do is we'll have extended captures of them for the After the Paracast podcast for Paracast Plus members. I think that would be interesting. We've done that before. We had Michael Esposito. on. Yeah, for
2: EVPs, yeah.
1: Right. We had that on with Chris and we presented some of those things and some of them just junk noise as far as I'm concerned. Others, you know, you start thinking it's not a Rorsatch test. There's something more going on here.
11: Yeah, I I was very skeptical to say in the beginning. And if it, it, it hadn't been so specific, uh, you know, some people would get excited when they they hear yes and no. And I'd say, well, that's really not what I want to hear. But uh, we had. For example, an entity that seemed to come through named Enoch. I thought it was like Enoch with an O. Some people thought it was Enoch with an I. So one day I asked, which is it? Is it I or O? And this voice said Enoch with an O. And at the end of each session, we would say, we want to clear the session. Tell us when it's clear. Quite a number of times a voice would say clear. But this one time, you know, when we wanted to end the session, instead of saying clear, this one voice said, this cannot clear. This is energy which, you know, right after I'd asked for for them to say clear. There was just a lot of interactive examples like that. And and then one time there was a a contactee in Australia, and she and a friend of hers had uh, been doing some kind of exercises, Tai Chi-like exercises. While they were doing it, this voice, supposedly a a spirit alien-type voice, out of the air said, fingers together and so this was an instruction for them to you know put their fingers together while they were doing what they were doing
2: Brand, like fingers together like when people are doing a seance or something what you know well, this touching. was like
11: this was like the tai chi you know where they they do these like kung fu type moves but in slow motion or something yeah so they they along with uh, this book publicist for this lady this bodiless voice instructed uh these two ladies one of them in particular, to fingers together. We did a session with the ghost box. I told them to synchronize our time as best we could and have them send me a message. And I would run the ghost box for about five minutes and see if we, I could pick up what they were going to send me. But I had no idea what it was going to be. And so these three women communicated among themselves and they wanted it to be fingers together. So when we played back the the audio, we got fingers together. Plus, it was sounds like think, Ted. Hold your fingers together. Another time, there was a woman who we were on a ghost investigation in Furnace, Birmingham, Alabama. It's supposed to be a very, very haunted site. And she wanted to, you know, see if this ghost box thing really worked. You know, her uh, the leader of her group was quite, quite skeptical, uh, which I can understand. And anyway, so she asked the box. Says when we'd have family reunions we would always talk about a certain holiday that my grandfather and his dad had in common. What was it? And this voice came through and twice expressed father's day. And she, she picked up on it right off. I couldn't tell what it was until I played it back. And she said, yes, that was it. Her grandfather and her dad both died on that holiday father's day. And so that to her was confirmation
2: would you say that was like a, a Class A EVP kind of thing, you know, crystal clear and, you know, no no doubt about it?
11: Yeah, these are the, the better ones. You can, uh, as I say, you can go to the, the so February and March 2017 and toward the bottom of the page of my reality checking column, I put these different audios with a little description. It's always best to use good headphones. You listen for it. And, you know, if you've got pretty good average hearing, You should be able to to hear these things.
1: I kind of think we need to explore more detail here on the Powercast. We've had scattershot approaches. Isn't this weird? And we never take it beyond the isn't this weird. And then again, if we're returning to the so-called unified field theory, is any of this related to any of the other mysteries? Or do we just have a bunch of wacky things that go on and we need to look into each and every one?
11: Well, I think, you know, that Keel did some things wrong, but then again, on the other hand, he he got us to thinking about so many things, and he got out of the field, and he did his best. You can go to www.johnkeel.com that his friend Doug Skinner puts out every month with letters and copies of clippings and things from Keel's old archives, showing that he really was very obsessed with this subject and trying to figure it out. One of his... Better cases in Maryland that supposedly supported, of course, the uh, woodrow Derenberger case turned out to be a hoaxer. He apparently kind of fell for that. We always face that challenge when we're dealing with uh, people's accounts. We never know when uh, we're dealing necessarily with a fully real one or genuine personality or, or hoaxer. There's so many of these cases, and as I say, trying to find the commonalities, connect the dots, in Keel's case with that subject in Maryland as college student, he liked fiction and uh, he'd heard Woodrow Derenberger on a Washington, D.C. radio program and just thought he'd call in. He'd never realized they tracked the phone numbers, so he got a call back afterwards. He thought he could just do it anonymously and that would be the end of it. And at least this is what he claimed later. But there's so many in the Derenberger case that Keel investigated. There were other witnesses that saw craft and things the night of his initial encounter and he reported to the police and something initially happened although he began to wonder about some of his later claims that wasn't too far from point pleasant where all that was going on with the ufos and the so-called mothman and other creatures very strange circumstances high strangeness
2: (laughs) just i'm just reading here brent um, and one of your magazine articles about uh, an evp of a loud explosion can you tell us a bit about that
11: wow a loud explosion
2: uh, did, yeah it's you've, you've written in them um, oh, i'll tell you specifically it was um in the article evp or not to be okay what was the question again by brent rains and kind of down near the bottom there's a talk about how you'd uh, got a very clear explosion sound coming through as an evp instead of speech as if it may be uh, the actual sound of a an explosion that has happened or maybe yet to happen or something but like a, it's a bit like almost like a residual haunting it's a, a i think what you're trying to say is like a, maybe a retelling of a, an actual explosion that happened somewhere does that ring a bell or is it just so many things in
11: the past and- I, I remember writing that article and i think i was describing different evps and the and some of it was was mine, and some of it was some of the people I was working with. I'm really not sure. I'd have to go back to that and and kind of refresh my memory on that. Huh?
2: You're also talking about getting some uh, humor from the afterlife, the e- EVPs that are funny or some kind of well uh, communication. Yeah, yeah.
11: There was there was one I had played uh, where someone uh, it was Brett. Uh, Oldham who we were doing a yeah. session. We were trying to communicate with John Keel and he said, John, this is Brett Oldham. I'm a friend of, of Brent Rains, And we are supposed to be communicating with John Keel. And the voice said, bummer. We've got Andy here with a
1: cliffhanger like they do with TV series. When they end the season, uh, a cliffhanger, huh? <laughs> Where can we find more information about you, Brent?
11: Okay. You can go online at uh, apmagazine.info, and I edit an online magazine there that comes out once a month around the 1st. We have years of back-issued archived materials. Uh, we have you know, feature articles, interviews, book reviews, the whole nine yards, cover everything from archaeological mysteries, shamanism, paranormal, UFOs.
1: It's worth looking at. Yeah, go for it. It's worth looking at. We can find us on Twitter if you look for The PowerCast. Check out The PowerCast Fan Clubs on Facebook. Check out PowerCast Plus. Go to plus.thepowercast.com, plus.thepowercast.com. We give you an ad-free version of this show with better quality audio, the After The PowerCast podcast, and more. Prices start just $1.49 a week. Well, if you go for the lifetime subscription, we give you free books, really free stuff, and other free stuff for the five years. Thank you very much, Brent Raines, for joining us on The PowerCast.
11: Thank you, Gene. Thank you, Gordon. Appreciate it.
0: The PowerCast, featuring Gene Steinberg and Christopher O'Brien, is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated.